Hello, everybody, and welcome to another very special summer episode of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for the Almighty, and we are blessed to be together. Join us to go more deeply into this great adventure at, let's proclaim it, ilovemyfamily.us. And what's at ilovemyfamily.us, Stephanie? So you will find many tools there to help foster a culture in your homes and with your friends of prayer and conversation, talking and praying. Mm-hmm. And that the leads up, the focus, if you will, is to the um, Sunday readings of that next week and just to dive more deeply. But you'll also find there daily questions, fun questions, some prompts to really stir up and teach that language of prayer and talking if you need a little help. But we want you to plan on joining us in September for eight weeks, united with other families of tremendous opportunity on a weekly basis, united to talk and pray in our homes. And that leads into what we're calling Sanctus Eucharistic Family Revival. The Friars of the Renewal are joining us November 3rd and 4th for an amazing regional diocesan-wide experience of the Eucharist and coming alive. So those eight weeks beginning in September lead into that. And I know you're asking, where can I find out more, Greg? I want to get on board right now. So CatholicRevival.us, CatholicRevival.us. And as we are 100% dependent upon your prayers and support, we do ask you to please consider partnering with us. Click on that Partner tab. I am so excited and honored and joy-filled to introduce Mark and Faith Huff, otherwise known as my niece and her wonderful husband, all the way from Clinton, Connecticut. They have eight children, and what moves us most about them is just their love of Christ and the fullness of our Catholic faith. It was the fabric of their dating. We're going to hear their stories, fabric of their marriage and their family. And in a particular way, why we have them, I think what's unique is they've chosen a kind of culture of beauty and art, of God as the creator, right? God is the creator, and he delights in creating us, and he invites us to be cooperators, participants, if you will, in that creative work. Both of them are authors, both of them are artists, and they have an atmosphere, a home, where they make that present in a particular way. Uh, Mark is a luthier. Can any of you guys guess what a luthier is? Well, I can't see if you're raising your hand, but no, he crafts custom musical instruments, cellos, violins. One day, Stradivarius, in fact, he's looking down now and saying, you know, I really want to huff. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I can't see them, but you should be smiling. I'm sure you're smiling, Mark, but it's true. When you pour your heart right into an instrument, there was a great song, Touch of the Master's Hand, I think was one of the lyrics, beat up old violin and an old man kind of takes time to, to fix it up and all of that and pours his heart into it and plays this beautiful song. It strikes me as the beauty of working with your hands and creating a masterpiece, a craft that is an occasion to give God glory. We are blessed to have a print of uh, your Magnificat painting, and it is stunning and just so real. And anytime anyone comes into our home and sees it, um, they are just moved so deeply by it. So we're mm. going to put all these links and such in the show notes. Um, but also, the one of the other reasons we're so excited to have you guys with us is um, obviously our whole movement is about imaging the Trinity and the domestic church and going there more deeply. And you guys... I just think our listeners are going to be so moved and touched in practical ways and also just to be inspired 
um, by what the Lord has done and is doing in your family. Um, we're going to give you, again, all the information. Greg, go ahead. I'll let you no, go. Just a there. quick, I want you folks to know right out of the gates where you can find more about them. So Faith Elizabeth Huff, it's a mouthful, but Faith, F-A-I-T-H, Elizabeth, H-O-U-G-H.com. Faith, Elizabeth, H-O-U-G-H.com is where you can find more about Faith Elizabeth. And those of you who are in the market to buy a handcrafted, absolutely beautiful instrument, you can go to, go ahead, Mark, dive in there. It's at HuffViolins.com. So, so H- H-O-U-G-H. Violins.com. Awesome. So I'm going to be quiet because I'm going to be interrupting also, I'm sure, many, many times. Um, But as I said, Faith, just a beautifully dear niece. Um, Gosh, Faith, I remember when you were born. I'm going to sound like that old aunt woman here. Uh, But just such a beautiful special. (laughs) Oh, I'll be quiet. Okay, so welcome to Ignite Radio Live. An hour later. (laughs) I know how you feel, Aunt Stephanie, because... Every time I talk to Annie and see something that she's doing or she talks about her little one, I'm like, I remember when you were born. And I realize that I'm like, I'm now that person that yes. remembers like, vibrant young people were born and kind of makes me feel old, but also just very deeply in the part of everything. I like that we have this generational community. That keeps yeah, living. what a gift, right? What a gift. Um, I have to make a quick correction, by the way. Mark, I may have misheard at my aged 55-year-old trying to hear things clearly. Um, so I looked up HuffViolins.com and nothing came up, but MarkHuffViolins.com popped for me. So, thank you for correcting me on that. So it wasn't me. I get some credit for actually hearing correctly. <laughs> I've heard of Come on. Yes. Excellent. So Mark, MarkHuffViolins.com is where you should really check this out, folks. M-A-R-K, Huff, H-O-U-G-H, Violins.com. Steph, with no further ado, set the stage for us. Okay, so we're going to jump back quickly to the scripture that we love to proclaim on our show, and which is from Revelation 12.11, and which is, they defeated the enemy. Gosh, can't we see it all around us, right? By the blood of the Lamb, our Holy Mass, how blessed we are as Catholics, and by the word of their testimony. So we love to give our guests an opportunity to share their story. And what I always love to proclaim, and kind of obviously knowing you guys, it doesn't have to be like some crazy, you know, conversion story. Because like yours, that story already happened by the blood of the cross, right? But just how God has interwoven your testimony together and in your roots as family. There's no perfect families, um, but uh, just the blessing of kind of being on that pathway from the beginning, which is a real gift. So without further ado, I don't know which one of you is poking each other to go first, but give us your background and your you know family history and kind of how you came to make it your own also um, of that faith nature. And when I say faith, I, actually, Mark, that could be a double entendre, right? How did you come to make faith your own? <laughs> nice job. Thank you. Thank you. That was good, yeah. Um, for, for me, we were raised Catholic. Catholicism was always deeply a part of our family life, just a part of everyday life. I sort of, I can't imagine it having been any different. Um, but you really started to own that as, uh, 
I don't know, around the time I was 10, 11, 12, 13, that age where I started really asking questions mm. about things. And my parents were always great at never shutting down questions about the faith. Mm. Like anytime we had a question, they would either have an answer or they would say, I don't know, that's a great question. Let's look at the catechism or let's talk to a priest or anything like that. And they never shamed us for doubting anything or not understanding. So I feel that because of that, the sort of intellectual side of the faith is something that I really owned. Mm. And so just around that time as a young teenager, starting to have difficult things happen in my life and friends' life, and sort of see the way that my faith pulled me through that. And in particular, some of my friends walked away from the faith. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really difficult for me. But also from the outside, I saw how much more difficult it was for them because they were walking through those difficult things alone and didn't have that. And I never felt alone because I always had Jesus and Mary to turn to. And um, it really got got me through some really difficult things as an early teenager um and you know beyond that and this is sort of what i hope for our children too it's just it has been such a permeating aspect of life that um it's just it's hard to it's almost impossible to imagine life without faith that's something that's always in a way been a gift of the spirit and come to me very easily that i've never really doubted God's love for me. And I, I pray that my kids can have that too. Mm, beautiful. So, I, go ahead, Steph. No, and I, I just want to insert very quickly. Um, I wanted to say this in the beginning, and I was so overwhelmed with excitement that I didn't. Um, Faith's mom, Joanne, uh, I would say was the biggest influence on me as a mom. Mm-hmm. So she started dating my wonderful eldest brother, Michael. Of 12. Um, when... I think I was in first grade. So I was a a little tyke, so to speak. And so I just always remember Joanne being around. But as their relationship developed and marriage and children came, she was such an incredible example um, of true motherhood Mm -hmm. and how she was forming you guys in the faith and attachment parenting Mm -hmm. and how she loved you guys. And, you know, certainly your dad was a part of that all and you know their their witness of marriage and such um and then when we were blessed um we can talk a little bit later about when uncle greg and i started dating and your funness and all of that but um as we were blessed with children like she was just her prior example but then that go-to person um with questions and such and i remember her too just as, as you shared you know being grounded in the faith um you know, from an early, early age, from the very beginning, really in utero, right? Um, but I loved how your mom just talked with such uh, delight and love of the saints mm-hmm. and just the stories and how she told them. And that was super formative, too. So Worthy of note, Stephanie's mother died when she was five years old. So that's what made all the more the significance of Aunt Joanne in guiding and being present and, and certainly as, as parents, as a mother. Uh, those of you who know my beautiful wife here, Stephanie, know that she just wore um, the self-sacrificing joy of motherhood and being a spouse, and I think a lot of that came from Joanne. So, Faith, just want to quickly touch on some moments here that I know about, and for our listeners, you did that odd thing at an early age for many called homeschooling. 
Did you just, <laughs> I mean, just be real. Was it, was, was it a struggle? Or what were the battles? I mean, you, when, when I say I have recall of you being always delightful, but you guys had good, strong voices. I think, am I right in saying you maybe had a little bit of feist? And uh, uh, I don't know. Tell me about <laughs> that. Let's go there. There's this, a great Mark Twain quote that's, um, my mother had a very difficult time raising me, but I think secretly she enjoyed it. Yes. I have some kids like that now, too. So God blesses <laughs> us that way, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely uh, pushed back a lot with my parents. But actually, in terms of homeschooling, um, I, I'm pretty sure it was just an idle threat. But they would they would say, "That's it, you know, this happens one more time, and we're sending you to public school." And then it was like, "No, oh, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> I will, I'll get in line. Don't send me to public school because I loved homeschooling, and it mm. wasn't fear of public school, but it was I loved being able to um, pursue my creative interests and having time for that mm-hmm. in homeschooling, um, you know." reading all day long. There's a lot yes. of reading. I remember Faith with a book always, right? So yeah. early on, Faith, give us a portrait for those who are listening uh, about a home culture that had very, very selective digital engagement. So first of all, the technology had not spread as much as it is today in people's pockets and such that dominates lives. So back then it would have been video, right? Or video screens, maybe computers, how did your parents navigate that, and are you glad they did? What what difference did it make for you? How did it form you today? Besides besides Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes, you can, you can <laughs> answer the question. I do have memories of Saturday morning cartoons and watching like gummy bears and uh, Ducktales. I think but, <laughs> yeah. um, we had technology in our life. We we were never one of those families that like threw out the television, unlike my husband's family that did do that for a while. Um, but it was always. Um, it was always limited. So we had, you know, we had Saturday morning cartoons and then we would have half an hour a day where we would watch something on PBS, like square one, which probably really ages me, but, um, I don't even know what that is. Ages me. (laughs) No, it's really cool. Uncle Greg. (laughs) (laughs) So keep going. No, it's all. And then we didn't even have a computer until I was, eight or nine, I think. And it was really old DOS computer. So I think what um, mainly helped in my childhood and young adulthood was that my parents um, were happy to stay on the tail end of technology. So we just, um, we had to go to the library to use the internet. So we mm-hmm. were through my entire high school until I think my senior year, we had internet at home. So um, it was, it was limited, just sort of out of practicality. Um was, but we all had so many other options. So we didn't yeah. really turn to computers or television so much because we had a huge home library. Um, we went to the actual library all the time. We had a room full of board games and mm-hmm. we'd play games. Together. And um, there was always something better to do. And particularly for me, um, I didn't find the technology as alluring as going to the library and bringing home a stack of books. So. Mm-hmm. Where did you learn the craft of inserting fortunes into fortune cookies? Because I'm just still dazzled and amazed at that incredible ability. Scoundrel. Now that's very fun. <laughs> now we got to tell the story. Go ahead, Steph. So um, you guys were living in Erie when Greg and I were dating, of course. And um, 
I think you all kind of loved him <laughs> and you were certainly very dear to me and such. And I think excited at the possibility of where the Lord seemed to be moving. So we were at um, their family home um, way back when, and uh, the kids had, I don't know if you guys made them or bought them or whatever it was, but fortune cookies that you brought to us and we opened them. And I think Uncle Greg opened his first and his um, Don't wait, propose now with like five exclamation points. <laughs> and mine said, say yes. <laughs> so I'm, But you guys like were so innocent. You quote, had unquote. me. I'm looking yeah. at this, I'm like just baffled because all of you listeners, most of you probably know that we didn't even decide to date without awareness that it had a, a telos and end in mind and it meant marriage and we were already obviously thinking we about that. And, yeah, and, I mean, it was part of the way we thought of things. So it wasn't like a, you know, big, huge shock surprise, but I I genuinely thought that this is the way things turned out. So anyways, that was very cute. So Faith, were, were there moments in high school or that you might point to as uh, maybe a book that you read or a talk that you heard where you recall kind of really consciously being aware of of a personal choice in your faith? Is Was there any significant influence? Many influences, but a moment or at all that struck you? Um. That's a that's a tricky question because I do think it's a, a conglomeration of a million moments and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of things that happen. Um, I think um, when I was thirteen, I had surgery for scoliosis, mm-hmm. and I remember it, it. It really wasn't as big a deal as a lot of people thought it was in the sort of outside sphere. But there was one priest, uh, Father Levis, mm, God rest his soul, who would keep saying, "Well, you just need to pray for a miracle. You need to pray for miraculous healing from your scoliosis, so that um, you don't have to have this big surgery." Mm. And I just remember thinking that, you know, that sounded great, but at the same time, it sounded a little silly because the surgery was this thing I could I could do that um, seemed like it would have more merit in in my life and in in the life of the world than a miracle would at that point. Mm. And I, I guess that, that whole experience of having that surgery and being in a lot of pain, things not always going really well. Um, and feeling very much God with me through it Mm. did have a, a sort of formative way in terms of how I looked at suffering for the rest of my life. And just that presence of God through me, um, with me through those things. Um, beautiful. And, yeah, and in terms of you know reading talks, things like that, um, I think it was more the personal example of people around me. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. books were great. Read the Bible a lot. Read a lot of spiritual reading. Saint Therese and um, other other more modern writers, which which all helped build up my faith. But I think seeing that the faith was important to the people who were important to me. Mm-hmm bigger impact in my life of um, that's awesome you are listening to a very special episode of igniteradiolive.com we encourage you to really receive all the graces being poured out this summer in your marriage and family but begin to anticipate a great family adventure beginning in september we're calling it supreme makeover home edition 
eight weeks of talking and praying in your home with phenomenal gathered monthly events leading into November 3rd and 4th, Sanctus Eucharistic Family Revival, led by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. That's right, the Franciscan Friars of Renewal. They're amazing. They're going to be coming and leading this tremendous family and marriage event on November 3rd and 4th. We want to give you a ground floor opportunity to get on board. You can do that at catholicrevival.us. Now back to our program. Folks, we're with Mark and Faith Huff. Very delighted that you are with us here on Ignite Radio Live. A little bit of a pause here with the connection there, wherever they are at. But they're sharing with us their background stories. Um, And then we're going to talk a little more about the beauty and art that um, just as their culture and their home, Faith just shared with us some of her background and uh, upbringing that brought her to really kind of own and be forged in the Catholic faith. Many factors. And uh, you heard Mark there kick in and then cut out. You back with us, Mark? Yes. Okay, awesome. fabulous. Mark, sorry, internet connection issues here. Um, if we could just take you, why don't we just get you back, get your story back in the beginning, if you don't mind sharing with us. Sure, no problem. So um, I was, uh, like Faith, I was homeschooled as well. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. our, I had a slightly different path to it because uh, my family sort of converted uh, when I was uh, I was young. I was probably only about... Uh, six or seven, mm. I'd say, family converted. So we had to... From what, of, Mark? From what? Uh, nothing. From being oh. nothing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, my mom was just sort of struck, struck with conversion on Good Friday one, one day. And wow. Just, yeah. From absolutely nothing to, oh my goodness, Jesus died for me and wow. I'm not doing anything. Got to pause you on so that because was, that's prolific. I mean, there's something very poignant about that. So you, you weren't attending any kind of church as a family? N- nothing. They were uh, just living living a life pretty much like a lot of people live nowadays, where you're just sort of living in the world. And um, she had a, a close friend who was Catholic, who had converted to Catholicism, who was trying very hard to to encourage her to have a spiritual life. And my mom said she didn't feel any need for it. Mm. And then uh, on Good Friday one year, she was raking the lawn and in the middle of strokes of the rake, stopped and said, oh, my goodness, Jesus died for me today and I'm doing nothing for him. Wow. And that just started a, a road to conversion where she just had to find out what God's role in her life was. And she found out later that uh, her friend had been praying a novena for her conversion that wow. had just ended. So it was a fifty-four day rosary novena. Wow, yeah. that is amazing. Is her name Pauline or Sauline at this point? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, my my mom uh, mom's name was Nancy. If it, if it weren't for that moment, uh, our whole lives, all my kids' lives, all my siblings' lives would all be very different. And um, because the faith. The faith has really been that center point that that inspires all our decisions about how we parent, mm-hmm. uh, about how many kids we have, how about who we marry, uh, who we marry about uh, whether we homeschooled, about what, what we want our daily life to look like. Everything has been inspired by the faith, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine can't imagine where we would be if it weren't for that one one choice that God had that He was going to snatch my mom up and, and claim her as one of his own. So amazing. Uh, How did your dad take with that? Well, it, it's funny because he, he's, he's, he's very, he's a, he's a quiet thinker and 
he at that point was like, well, all right, uh, you can do that, but don't expect me to follow for a little bit. And then he sort of got on board and he's, 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 he's one of those people that has a really strong, quiet space mm. that it's not something that, uh, that ever seems to be questioned. Um, so, uh, once he was on board, it was, he, he was there, uh, as a support, uh, uh, with us and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's what? been probably the most influential thing in our life is being, is that moment of conversion because now, uh, now we're, we're, we're trying to be the parents that, that we, we know we are called to be, uh, for our kids and, uh, and it just continues on. So I got to ask the question, you were already homeschooling, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, your parents, your, par- your parents were, oh, they were not. Okay. No, no, I went to school until I was 11 years old and, okay. uh, that was a separate decision. My parents, my my, my mom, again, being a very strong strong, powerful force decided that why, why was, uh, uh, why was she going to let our younger brother and sister go to school when she could do just as good a job teaching them? And when we heard that they were going to be homeschooled, the older three siblings, we, we said, well, what, why can't we? And so in one year, all five of us started homeschooling and it was, uh, it was a very big change, obviously, but it was something that we, we never questioned uh, as kids because we, we started meeting homeschoolers and realizing there was mm-hmm. a big difference. There was a very big difference mm-hmm. just in the open, the friendship, the, the ability for the kids to uh, have friends at different ages and not uh, immediately compartmentalize you into uh, uh, being a little kid or, or mm-hmm. uh, someone that they need to along with. Um, we, we, it was only a, a, a wonderful experience that just kept getting better and better mm-hmm. for us. Mark, is it fair to say that your parents had a natural, prior to this, kind of an innate sense of virtue, of goodness, compared to, say, the broader culture? I'd say that, I'd say yes. In, in general, they had a, a desire to, to find the truth. That, that they, they definitely had a, had a desire to, to do what was right and to do what was best for, for the family and for the kids. That has always been there. And uh, I think uh, becoming Catholic sort of made it a lot easier because you had the assistance of, of the faith and of the church and the church fathers who have already figured out a lot of the, the major questions that, that uh, parents have to deal with. So for those... Um, I, I know that... Go ahead. Oh, go on. So I was going to say, for those, for uh, those just, who are um, are listening right now and have inherited the Catholic faith, this is, I think, a remarkable insight um, into the fact that we can have, so to speak, virtue and goodness and try to be good people. But you experienced in a very raw way, as we say, theology crowns philosophy. There was something, if you will, missing, an aptitude, an appetite, even in goodness, that was beckoning something more, something transcendent to fullness. And you got to experience that through the witness of your mom, your dad being brought along. Just from your standpoint, as best as you can put words on it, Mark, what really made the difference? Like for you personally, what? because there's a lot to Catholicism, right? People see it as jumping through the hoops. Yeah. Apparently the hokey pokey yeah. was sort of, you know, making fun of the Catholic faith. And many today, let's just say this, look at it and they see it as perhaps they wrongly ascribe a lot of man-made, jump through the hoops, 
externalistic, why am I doing this, what's the point, whereas you're giving us kind of a portrait with a delight and a joy of some things that had, shall we say, presence, like it was an occasion of that, quote-unquote, something more. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I think what, I think one of the things that most of my siblings inherited from my mom and my dad was they they wouldn't put up with they wouldn't put up with a lie if mm. it was uh, trying to deceive them, and so that's that's something that the faith has. And I remember noticing uh, uh, even when I started really taking my faith seriously that that was something that you could rest the fact that. The church, when they declared something as true, the deeper you investigated it, the mm-hmm. more clear it was that it was true. You never got that feeling of, oh, if I look into this deeper, deeply, I'm going to be disappointed and find that there were worldly motives mm-hmm. behind making this, this situation. Everything was true. So when, when I was 14, I really started taking my faith seriously. We, we, we ended up going to a more traditional uh, parish in New Haven, and that was um, run by the Dominican mm-hmm. uh, friars, and they were really instrumental in our faith because uh, uh, we would have the priest out. We got used to uh, uh, their their homilies and their confess uh, being confessors, and I was always struck by how these clearly intellectual men could explain truths of the faith, and they it was just very clear they were right. There was clearly no worldly motivation to anything they said. Mm. And so people, I would look into faith. I mean, I guess there was one book that was sort of a, sort of a instrumental was a, a, the old radio reply series. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And, and I remember at, at 14 having questions about the faith and trying to figure out why we were different than, um, other Protestant religions, and every time I'd have a question and I, I'd read it, the answer, it it was so obviously true, and you could delve deeper and find more truth to it. So I think that from our parents, that was something all of us kids were sort of given or, or inherited, was this idea that the truth at all costs, even if it was painful or it would make your life difficult, mm-hmm. it was still worth doing. I absolutely love and, that. Uh, I love the phrase truth at all costs because the degree to which we're not living for the truth is the degree to which we're languishing, living in a lie. And just for those who are listening, I know you're saying this, uh, Mark and Faith, but for those who are listening, this isn't simply a propositional truth. Like we propose that two plus two equals four, and it lingers in your concept, your mind, noetically, but that truth has taken on flesh and blood and is made present to us in the sacraments. And it's an occasion of uh, of knowing who we are, whose we are, right, and in a capacity to live really at that deepest level of our identity, it awakens us. And, and I know I'm curious as you're kind of going through adolescence to some extent, contrasted by your peers, compa- contrasted by the culture around you. I'm just asking your little take on this, but tell me that doesn't give you strength in uh, in not subscribing or uh, you know from being tempted so much by the false propositions of you need to act this way or be this way. Oh, oh, completely, Be- completely. Because, uh, like I said, the uh, I feel like there were multiple puzzle pieces that made the faith um, made me decide to make the faith part of my life as, as an adolescent. And one, uh, the the fact that we had good priests, the fact that 
they were deeply um, trained in, in St. Thomas Aquinas and apologetics, but was only one of the puzzle pieces. The other puzzle pieces were, were definitely the, the, the lives of the saints. Um, mm -hmm. and, and once you realize that the truth the, teach were, the church was teaching were in fact true, it made every other aspect of, of the faith that the saints professed true as well, seeing that their love of God was central to their lives even, and, and that um, they were willing to sacrifice their own life out of love for God. Um, seeing people that I, I grew up with, people that I respected, um, uh, uh, daily live their life for God. Um, that was another puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. It sort of is an innocent also. I mean, you see the lives of the saints. You see, again, the people that you love, the people that you admire, and that you want what they have. And then you realize that it's, it's that relationship with God. And I think uh, for both of us, the thing that would be impossible to walk away from in the Catholic faith is just eucharist and having mm -hmm. having that having jesus there with us has always been the thing that for me as an adolescent astounded me when i would see someone walk away from the faith because i couldn't see how they could leave that that if you had that how could you walk away from it mm -hmm. and that's yeah. all, all of the sacraments you suddenly once you once you realize intellectually once i realized the truth behind the faith and the truth behind and the, and the beauty, I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't just that it was true. It was that it was so obviously mm. beautiful truth that it fit. I mean, it's sort of like that, that uh, I don't know whether they, they ascribe to this nowadays, but the, the idea that one of the mathematical proofs of a theory was it had to be beautiful mm -hmm. for a while, that it had to have that element where everything fits so well that it, 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 it somehow gave it gave more strength to the, the, the trueness of, 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 a, of, of a theory. And I, I sense that with, with the faith, that, that when, you, when you heard about the, the Eucharist and you heard how God's sacrifice um, fit with everything that he promised, it, it was like the perfect story. Mm. And, and you, can't, you can't expect a story that perfect mm. to be invented and, and especially invented by, uh, by 12 apostles mm -hmm. who didn't even know how well it was invented. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. It, it, didn't, it didn't make any sense. It, it was clearly they were instruments being used by God to express his love. Mm -hmm. And so Beautiful. that yeah, the sacraments especially, I, I don't think I could, as a teenager, the idea of not having the sacraments would have been a very dark world to have to grow up in because... Mm -hmm. Uh, as a teenager, I don't think any teenager wants to think that they have to make it on their own. Right. I think that's got to be the most depressing thought as a teenager is mm -hmm. that they have to make it on their own. And without the sacraments, what else is there? Mm. They're, they're, you're, you don't have any, anything else besides your own ideas and, and your own impulses and what the world says you should, should do. And you know you're being pushed one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And you know you're not making you're not making informed decisions. You're, you're just flying by the seat of your pants and it's not a great feeling. Beautiful. Thank you for all of that, Mark. So much there. Um, let's fast forward to Boy Meets Girl. <laughs> you had mentioned your parish in uh, New Haven, St. Mary's, the Dominican Friars. Um, 
I believe that would be the starting point. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, that would, that would be the starting point because uh, at the time there were uh, a number of other homeschooling families at St. Mary's and um, we, we uh, decided to uh, get together regularly to have uh, um, uh, for, for a number of social activities. But one of the things we did was we would read Shakespeare. We would all assign each other parts and we'd get together and we'd all read Shakespeare play together. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah, real nerdy homeschool. I was just going to say uh, nerds, (laughs) but I love that. It's amazing. I wish we had that as children only later in life, but the beauty of it. Keep going. (laughs) And and so we would do this. And there were other, uh, it was was enough fun that there were other other people that weren't homeschooled. There were uh, uh, a couple of Yale students and other acolytes from St. Mary's that would join in with us. Um, But throughout this, we decided that we were going to uh, um, uh, actually put on a Shakespeare play at St. Mary's, and we were uh, we were down a few uh, few actors. We needed a couple more actors, and Faith's family had just moved into the area at the time. And uh, <laughs> someone mentioned that they might be interested in in joining, and so they did. And that was our first our first real chance of meeting each other. And um, it took a while before it definitely took a while on uh, before. Uh, I guess you could say we, we allowed interest uh, in each other to sort of blossom. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard to explain, but we, we, we both had that same idea that you mentioned earlier, Greg, that idea that dating wasn't something you do haphazardly, that if we were going to date someone, it was because you had an idea of possible marriage in mind mm-hmm. that this was this this was a a, a serious um, uh, uh, thing to endeavor and and we both grew up with that idea and so mm-hmm. we we wanted to to both of us had an idea of if we were going to date someone it was going to be someone we were already friends with mm. that we want to make sure that we were friends before we would even think about dating. Mm-hmm. So we were both at a point in our lives where we were just, we were just in a, in a circle of really close friends. And that was a real blessing because it gave us opportunity to really see each other as, as people and not just potential spouses. So who had the spark first or was it sort of a mutual sparking? Oh, and I have to ask another question. What was that first Shakespeare play? The play was Much Do About Nothing. Oh, fun. oh, that's great. And what did you respectively play, each of you? What characters? Well, I, I was I was chosen as the director, but I also played Leonardo, the elderly, the elderly gentleman. <laughs> that's great. Okay, and it was Faith Beatrice? No, I had the illustrious role of messenger. <laughs> <laughs> so did Gabriel, Faith. Talking. So did Gabriel. <laughs> Halfway through, one of the other actors dropped out, and so I quickly learned the role of Conrad, who's sort of the henchman to the villain. That's even better. You must have had fun with that. I love it. Okay, so sparking. Let's talk about, so obviously in the midst of this, is it? I just want to punctuate for our listeners. So number one, 
Thank you, Lord, for your grace on Nancy and her responsiveness to it. For any who are listening right now, maybe switched over from Van Halen or Led Zeppelin, you're like, where am I at? Well, we're talking about real things, about encountering the fullness that we're meant to be in our Catholic faith. Mark sharing the story of the background, no faith whatsoever, not even agnostic or atheist per se, just nothing. A friend praying for her, did a long novena, and and on a good Friday, right, just uh, discussing. You know, had something supernatural happen to her that opened up her heart and mind. That was a catalyst for her husband. So, folks, no matter how old your children are at, God can do powerful, amazing things even now. And those of us who maybe are going to Mass and we look at our children and we think, oh, you know, what happened? Why aren't they getting it? I think the same message is true as we continue to hear the story. God wants to press in. He wants to open up our hearts all the more to connect us beyond just jump through the hoops, but a true living encounter with Christ, which is so rich and full in the fullness of our Catholic faith. So we're talking about Mark and faith, uh, their backgrounds, homeschooled. They find themselves in the same parish. They're doing uh, Shakespeare. And uh, as they discover it's a friendship, there's a context there of just cultivating that virtue, the good of the other, caring for the other person, romance. I mean, you know, I guess it's always kind of there, but it's not this dominant. What is your, just want to ask, what was your unique vision about matters, dating, and romance that you think might be contrasted by back then, people thinking boyfriend and girlfriend, and today? Um, I think both of us, I think, sorry, let me start again. I think both of us thought that um, our relationship with one another should be leading to marriage or, you know, should be keeping that in mind. That's what we were discerning in a relationship once we were dating. And we didn't want to date until we were ready to be discerning that. Um, But that relationship and marriage ultimately meant how we were supposed to get to heaven. Like if we were supposed to marry this person, that was because that's God's path to heaven for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Both of us definitely came into a relationship with that, that um, we wanted to help one another be safe. And um, sometimes that meant having really annoying things that the other person had to learn how to put up with. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that, that, that really was the, the guts of, of our, our relationship was the fact that we had the faith in common automatically made so much more about um about our relationship fall into place um it's actually a very scary idea of of dating without being aware of what someone else's faith uh, or or beliefs might be Mm -hmm. uh, because that was such an important aspect i mean to to know to know that not just what they believed that they believe the same thing, but that they actually, that, that, that to know that faith actually had a relationship with God was so important mm-hmm. um, because that's not something that you can, and not something you can persuade someone into. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's something that, that is the living thing and to know that that was living in her uh, was a very, very vital, uh, vital thing that I was, I was hoping for in a spouse hoping for in, 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 in even a girlfriend, just that, that that was something alive and, and, and thriving. Yes, tell your father to the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, well, we'll talk about the sparks first, because <laughs> the sparks first, I, I'll very happily say, because it makes, makes me giddy when I hear it, that <laughs> faith, 
uh, Faith, she had sparks from the first time she heard me. Which yeah, is so interesting. the radio listeners can understand this because they've been hearing Mark's voice. But the first time that I met Mark, he doesn't actually even remember it, but um, I was talking to Sister Maureen and she introduced me to her older brother and he just talked. And I thought, oh my goodness, his voice is so amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. And how old were you at the time? How old were you at the time, Faith? And, and how old was he? I was 16 and he was 20, uh, 23 at the time. So there's a bit of an age difference. Okay. And that's part of why a long friendship was good thing for me. That's beautiful, though. And, yeah. So I, I, um, I really, I liked him a lot. I admired him a lot. He was a great director in the group, um, really good leader, really had a good way of pulling out the best in everybody, keeping his cool when no one else was keeping their cool. (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to a very special episode of IgniteRadioLive.com. We encourage you to really receive all the graces being poured out this summer in your marriage and family, but begin to anticipate a great family adventure beginning in September. We're calling it Supreme Makeover Home Edition. Eight weeks of talking and praying in your home with phenomenal gathered monthly events leading into November 3rd and 4th, Sanctus Eucharistic Family Revival, led by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. That's right, the Franciscan Friars of Renewal. They're amazing. They're going to be coming and leading this tremendous family and marriage event on November 3rd and 4th. We want to give you a ground floor opportunity to get on board. You can do that at catholicrevival.us. Now back to our program. I was just telling this story to my own uh, 16-year-old daughter a few weeks ago because we were talking about relationships. And um, at the time, I knew that we weren't ready to be in a dating relationship. She was much older than me, and um, I wasn't ready to be in a dating relationship at all at that age. And so I just remember every every time I was at church, I would just sort of bring that to God and just say, okay, I really like him. If I really love him with your heart, then I always want what's best for him. So please just help me love him with your heart so that I don't have any selfish motives. Mm. And I just kept praying that over and over. And I you know, try to convince myself it would be much better for him if he dated you know, whichever other of our friends were in the group or things like that. And would have this niggling voice of, no, it wouldn't. It would not be better for him. I would just try to sort of <laughs> and say, it doesn't matter. I don't need to know now what's best for him. I just need to want what God wants for him. And that would be the best way to love him. So that's sort of how, yeah. how I approached it. And then, yeah. and then during that time, um, I was actually going through a real, a real stressful part in life where I was at the age where you start looking around and realizing that, that nagging feeling that you're, you, you don't see anyone or you don't know of anyone that you feel will fit fit a life partner mm-hmm. you know what i mean where mm-hmm. I, it, it was something that you you know is such a big decision that you can't just go well i'll settle for someone so mm-hmm. or oh i'll settle for this person out it was I, I mean to be honest i was just very i felt very picky and it wasn't something i felt i needed to change it was something right. that i thought well god you 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 made me very picky and I'm, I'm just going to have to deal with this, but it didn't mean that I didn't go through depressed periods where I would, I would, I would bemoan the fact that I not only, it wasn't that, uh, 
Well, I bemoan the fact that there wasn't even anyone that I could imagine getting to know better mm-hmm. because uh, there was just where we were. That was that was the, the way the Paris looked. That was the, I was uh, working um, very isolated as a violin maker. It wasn't like I even had people at uh, office or something right. that I could I get to know. And so uh, one one Easter, I went to a confession with a, a wonderful priest at St. Mary's who, who has passed away. Was, he ended up becoming a spiritual director of mine, Father Uzenza. Mm-hmm. And I remember just telling Father, I just feel really depressed and sort of question God's, God's love for me sometimes because I don't see a possibility of someone that I could spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. And his advice was very poignant now was, Mark, I need you to pray for faith. Hmm. Ah. Pray for faith. faith. And that was all he said. And we find (laughs) it really funny now because uh, apparently, apparently the person. But it it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty soon after that. I'd say within the uh, next year and a half, I guess that uh, I can't remember exactly when. Faith has much better memory for the 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 progression of dates. Sure. So a beautiful, dignified courtship, uh, if you will, um, really different from the rest of the world. For any who are listening in that, you understood matters faith, both faith and faith, um, uh, and life and marriage are not something we determine, but but some someone in whom we are determined, and we participate in that, which gives you an anchor, and, and you describe that. Like, who doesn't want the person that they're going to be married to to have an anchor deeper than themselves, deeper than their own capacity, of course, that uh, awareness that it's so much more than a conferral of people, like a contract dependent upon our abilities, but covenantal marriage takes three, and you guys definitely got that, and we're forged for that, and we see the fruit of that. Um, we see the fruit of that grace now with your eight children, and I'm kind of fast-forwarding, but but um, with the time that we have, and I just think it's such a rich story here that's 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 right in front of us. I'm so grateful for both of you being with us and sharing this. But I want to pivot to your family culture, in particular, a culture vibrant with reading and writing and art and uh, and making instruments. So, Mark, let's just start with that. And by the way, folks, we just we're, we're with um, Mark and Faith. Huff, and you can find Mark's handcrafted instruments at markhuffviolins.com. That's Mark, H-O-U-G-H, violins.com. And Faith's work as uh, certainly as an author, but also commentator and recommender of great books. Um, you Which can, I'm going to talk about in a moment. At yes. Faith Elizabeth Huff, H-O-U-G-H. But let's just start with Mark. So it's peculiar. I mean, I've never met a luthier before you, and I think it's, it's how do you survive, and how does that work? So just tell us how you got into it. And just, I don't know, just tell us about the life of a luthier. Well, so I'll quickly uh, say how we got into it, because it was, it was something uh, very pertinent. Um, I was 17, homeschooled at the time, and I was, uh, loved woodworking, but I was really bad at it. <laughs> Didn't know it at the time. Uh, but I loved working with hand tools. And I read, up a, uh, read a book about a town in Germany that has a violin-making school. And I uh-huh. thought, you know what? I can, I can do this. I can mm. go to Germany, learn to study violin making. I don't know any German, but who cares? I'll, I'll figure this out. <laughs> a little and detail. My mom uh, went to a, a gathering of homeschooling parents uh, that happened once a month, and she told the other parents, I don't know what to do about my son. He wants to go to Germany to study violin <laughs> making. And one of the other moms turned around and said, are you joking? And my mom said, no, mm. Why? 
And the other mother said, well, my husband's a violin maker mm-hmm. and he's been looking for an apprentice for the last two years. And then we found out he lived six houses down the street from us. Six houses. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Talk about six answer houses. to prayer. Oh, totally. That, that was like such an obvious God letting me know what he wanted me to do at age 17 in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and I got, uh, got along really well. Uh, I apprenticed with him for three years and worked with him on and off uh, for the last uh, or 10 years after that. And I've been on my own for close to, uh, I think, 15 years. But uh, we still, I, I see him at least once or twice a week, and uh, we're still good friends. So you uh, are really close friends. And we, now when we get together, we talk about the faith. Amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, so that, that's how I got into it. But the funny thing uh, when you were giving the intro um, that, that I realized is that, that was another thing that I think we, we sort of rec- recognized in each other, Faith and I, when we, were, when we were getting to know each other, is we both had a desire to be able to make things that, that bring others to God that will outlast us. Oh, I love that. It's sort of, the, it's sort of like make, making votive candles. With, with with your life that that you that when you're done and gone and you've lived your life that these things will still be burning and, and, and possibly bringing others to God mm-hmm. and that's that's always been something that's been wonderful about the, the arts is that you can I mean I mean you think about how many people have been touched or moved by Michelangelo's Pieta mm-hmm. and that is still actively actively bringing God glory, but through Michelangelo's hands, even mm-hmm. though he, he, he's gone. And it seems like such a wonderful way to, to be able to bring, uh, to evangelize the world with beauty. And so I think that's something that we, we recognized in each other. and we, we shared mission. Yeah, it's a shared mission. We, we, that's important to us. We, we try to instill that to the kids. Uh, it's not saying you have to be artists, but it's saying that just be aware that when when you're going through that tough stage of going, what should I do with my life? Remember that you can't you can't go wrong thinking along the, with that. What should I do with my life? Mm. Is what should I do for God in my life? Absolutely. That that, that is that instead of just thinking, what should I do for a job? It's yeah. What could I do for God in my life? I love that. And, uh, it, Absolutely love that. And I'll say that the vision that we have imparted or tried to impart and will continue to try to impart and live ourselves with our children as a vision of worship. At the very root, it means to give God worth. And for people to understand, in this case, our children, family, culture, that all has been given from God to return to Him and give Him glory. That means sports, athletics, academics, woodworking, the whole realm. And I hear you saying that, and I also hear a beauty of of sort of a sense of this master-apprentice thing, which in the realm of craft is also applicable to the spiritual life, to have a master who's working on us. You know, we just heard recently in the Gospels, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We hear about Jesus as a master in the rabbinic tradition. Well, you're kind of, you were a student of strategy of various works, and you became a master in 2005. So I have really kind of two questions. For those who know nothing about the name Stradivarius, why Stradivarius? And what is it, or <laughs> what context made you a master violin maker? Is it just, ah, yeah, right, I'm a va- master. I identify with master violin makers, <laughs> therefore I am. I mean, so explain some of that to us. 
So, so the traditional journey of a violin maker uh, is you normally would go and uh, study as an apprentice for three years, and then you'd spend three year, uh, further years as a journeyman, uh, where you would go and study around and uh, uh, learn from other other violin makers. And after that point, uh, you would be uh, recognized by your peers as a master. And so uh, I spent my uh, apprenticeship studying for three years with Lawrence Wilkie, mm-hmm. who's uh, one of the top cello makers in the world. And then after that, I uh, worked on my own and started a shop in New Haven with a friend of mine. And uh, it was it was in 2005 that uh, Lawrence Wilkie came over one day. He said, I've got something for you. I thought, oh, what is it? And he opened it up and it was a diploma. And he said, just this is just to let you know that that we we recognize you as as a master as an equal wow. in, in the violin making world. Wow! And it was, it was it was very meaningful because uh, at the time the only way you could really know where your work was was to go to violin making competitions, worldwide competitions, and I had been going to them and doing very well. But it's still that thought, that feeling in your mind of I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it was very meaningful to actually, actually see that diploma and actually see that, that like, like I said, your peers recognize you as, as, as one of them. So that's, uh, that, that's what, what that means. Nowadays, a lot more violin makers, they'll go to violin making schools, which is sort of a, it's a different thing. I was very fortunate to be mm-hmm. able to have an apprentice. Unbelievable. Uh, so, to, so Stradivarius. Yes, he, he was amazing. Absolutely amazing. He was he was just a detailed person and someone that uh, someone that saw beauty in in lines and, and um, he was just just excellent at what he did. And he uh, he had a lot of apprentices that he he trained very well. Um, I think the thing that really stands out with him is he he was dedicated to trying to make the most beautiful sound and most beautiful looking instruments his whole life. Mm. Um, he didn't really have bad phases. He, everything, <laughs> everything he did, he did, mm. did the best he could. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think God really blessed his work because uh, he, he, his instruments really are that outstanding. So really yeah, so 17. Well, so born in born in 16. I'm cheating, by the way, online. So born in 1644. Uh, and the fact that this master created instruments that I don't even know how what they would cost or the time or energy, but today worth millions. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah, so give us a portrait. I mean, right, right now, he, I mean, do we know how many Stradivarius is synonymous with, with, with standard, with excellence? I'm also thinking in my mind, did you name a child Antonio? But we can sidestep that. <laughs> but, um, so tell us, I mean, what, no. what, what is the, do we know how many Stradivariuses, if, if you know, exist? So uh, they figure he made around 1200 violins. Um, he made uh, uh, only about 15 violas and around 60 to 70 cellos. But right now, there's only around, I think, around 650 violins that we, we know still exist. Um, that seems like a, a lot, but uh, a lot of them, we know they exist, but we don't know exactly where they are. Uh, some of them are bought and put in private collections. Some of them disappear during war. Um, but the interesting thing was, even at the time, this isn't just something like, a lot of art in the world only becomes valuable after the maker's dead. And it wasn't like that with him. Even at the time when he was making, 
the very finest courts in the world and, and court musicians and uh, uh, kings and princes were, and popes were mm-hmm. buying his instruments. That um, the quality level uh, uh, was not just, not just great then, we even recognize the quality now. And it's something that uh, we're, I, I, will, I will happily and humbly say most great modern violin makers are able to achieve its quality quality level now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind there being mystery behind him, but the truth is, we we've been able to learn so much from mm. him that I feel like we're in a, a new renaissance of violin making. That's remarkable. That some of the best makers, yeah, some of the best makers now can make instruments that that really hold their own against his. But the fact that his instruments can hold their own against all of the techniques and modern sound mm-hmm. analysis that we have now. That's what's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really standing on his shoulders and he just, mm-hmm. he still deserves a lot of the, 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 the praise for where we're at. So Mark, I am just painting a picture here for anybody who may be listening. I am an accomplished violinist and I've been in the market looking for a craft, high quality crafted violin. And I've heard this testimony from Mark Hoff, from MarkhoffViolins.com, H-O-U-G-H. And I go to your website, and I'm like, man, what a gift, what a heart, uh, what what a desire to, to create excellence and all that you're saying. I pick up the phone, I call you. Just give me the short process of what happens from commissioning a violin, the time that it takes, and if you don't mind, the cost. And I assume it's not, you know, like, like Brooks Shoes where you have, you know, Hundred variations in 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 value. I mean, do you pull punches and do a lesser value for a less quality, or how does that work? Paint a picture. So, so in general, we, we you can either commission a piece if you have a very uh, very clear idea of what kind of violin you want, whether you want a certain model violin, uh, if you want a violin that is, looks like a Stradivarius, or whether you want one that looks like another maker, uh, Gornero del Gesù is another very well known uh, Italian maker. Or you can go uh, to, to uh, certain violin shops that, uh, throughout the U.S. where they represent me, and they'll have uh, a violin on hand. Um, I'm not sure how many are out there right now, uh, but in general, the first thing is just conversation. I want to know who you are. I want to know uh, what, what your interest in violins are, what uh, your career is, what you, you hope to do with uh, your, your violin playing. And uh, really, that's the first point is, is just trying to get an idea of whether uh, uh, of what I can do to help help you uh, achieve the, the violin goals that you have. Um, when it comes down to the brass tacks of uh, what, what they cost, uh, I have two different levels of violins. My uh, signature level is uh, made out of uh, like 40 or 50 year old wood. And those are twenty four thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And then I have my gold label violins, which are made out of 150-year-old wood, wow. which is almost impossible to find. So you're basically buying a new violin that sounds like an old violin wow. uh, because all of the wood involved is is over 150 years old. And they, those sell for $34,000. That's amazing. And, uh, so uh, Greg said, asked you to paint a picture, um, which will be our little segue before we get to faith. But tell us about your painting and that uh, piece of art and the forever votive burning candle that you desire to leave behind for the Lord. Yeah, so it's funny. I sort of stumbled into painting uh, that uh, when uh, before Faith and I were dating, 
Uh, her parents had a rule that we had to, uh, they wanted her to wait till she was 18. And so we had already, it was, we had already become such friends that we knew we wanted to, to date and we wanted to, I mean, even, even before then, we both had an inkling that we were the right person for each other. Mm -hmm. So when her 18th birthday uh, was coming up, I really wanted to give her a really nice present, something that was unexpected. And I was uh, at my workbench playing with some paints and a paintbrush because when you're a violin maker, you have all those art supplies handy for varnishing and stuff. And I was just playing with some, some brown, reddish brown uh, paint. And I thought, Oh, I could, I could, I could paint her something. I decided, all right, I'll paint her something. Very, mm. I, if you haven't, have, if you don't know by now, I'm, I'm a crazy optimist, which uh, <laughs> makes me launch into a lot of, lot of uh, pursuits without really knowing how much is involved. <laughs> But I decided I would paint her uh, something small, like a, a Madonna and child. <laughs> and so I, I, spent, I spent a week painting uh, a Madonna and child uh, for faith. And I was surprised how much easier it was than I expected, because so much of what I learned in violin making about becoming a detail-oriented person, about uh, color and the subtleties of color and about brushwork and being able to determine whether something was right or close, uh, in terms of accuracy, so much of that you had to know to become a violin maker. Mm -hmm. And so I, I spent the time making the painting and I gave it to her and it was, uh, had the effect I wanted. She was shocked. Um, but after that, I, re I realized how much I enjoyed it. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I started uh, doing more paintings and immediately it became really very clear that if I was going to paint, I wanted to paint things that were lasting, things that would help people beyond just being a beautiful image. Mm -hmm. I wanted to paint something that hopefully after I'm dead would still speak to people and bring them closer to God. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really, really moved into sacred art, uh, painting, um, painting religious pieces, um, uh, because uh, what, what high, higher level of art can you have than something that will actually affect someone's soul Mm. And perhaps they're in some way their their eternal, eternal salvation. Mm. Um, so you've been commissioned for sure. I know by the Dominicans. I know you had a um, uh, piece of art on the cover of the Knights of Columbus. Mm. Was it Columbia Magazine or um, Columbia that Magazine. was a couple years ago? I think. Um, yeah. Just your your uh, painting of um, Jacinta, I believe. Am I remembering correctly? Um, All this stuff is coming to me, yeah. hopefully correctly. Yeah. Um, if someone is interested in pursuing that, where would they find out more information? And do you have you know your prints um, available for sale, or how does that, that all work? And I love that right faith. Now, um, I love that faith was your inspiration for painting too. I just have to throw that in. Oh. Yeah, she's always the inspiration. It's it's very she's very easy to paint. Because, yeah, now I'm the model. I'm the inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> now I have to be the model. Yeah, that's, I that's, love it. That, that's that's the benefit of having an absolutely stunning wife. Right. That, that <laughs> right. A, and children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I, I have a website. Uh, Huff Fine Arts. Fine Arts. Fine Arts. Oh, sorry. Okay. Did it okay. Huff Fine Arts. Uh, dot com and you can go there and you can find uh, examples of the paintings that I painted in the past and some of them are still available. Uh, We're working on prints. We're working yeah. with the local prints. Yeah. Kind of. 
figure out the best way that prints made, but there's none available yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah, uh, we're, we're in the process of doing prints. Uh, we love doing commissions. We absolutely love commissions because I think I think everyone has has an idea. Most Catholics I know have relationships with saints, that there's certain saints that they feel especially close to. And the, the real power in a painting is that when I'm painting a painting of a, of a saint or of a blessed mother, it, I only feel like I'm doing half the work. There's always a feeling that God is, is, is in control, that things that you, you don't expect to happen, happen, and things that you don't know why they turned out the way they did, they do. And it's very much like your own life. Like you, you try to organize your family life the best you can. And then at the end of the day, you go, you know, only half of the things that I planned to do happened. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it was really letting God take control because I had to. And uh, trusting that he had a reason for it. Well, creating arts the same way. And so having having commissions where someone wants you to paint a saint for the family, it's it's exciting because you know that the end result is going to be something that you only had half a hand in that God was actively working for whatever purpose to, to help inspire, uh, inspire the art. And uh, it, for me, that's an exciting thing to feel. Yes. It's ex- always, uh, I know the same thing happens when, when it's writing, she's mentioned it, that mm-hmm. ideas will come. You don't even, you're not even conscious of, of thinking about or, or whole plot stories or, or whole uh, arcs of the, of the story. You don't even know where the inspiration came. I mean, the, mm. Uh, ancient we refer to as being inspired by the muses i think they even recognized there was a spiritual element that was guiding the artist and it's something that all uh, we we always feel and so uh that's yeah so i especially love uh commissions but uh also in my free time if i don't have a commission i'm i'm always working on uh other other paintings You are listening to a very special episode of IgniteRadioLive.com. We encourage you to really receive all the graces being poured out this summer in your marriage and family, but begin to anticipate a great family adventure beginning in September. We're calling it Supreme Makeover Home Edition. Eight weeks of talking and praying in your home with phenomenal gathered monthly events leading into November 3rd and 4th, Sanctus Eucharistic Family Revival, led by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. That's right, the Franciscan Friars of Renewal. They're amazing. They're going to be coming and leading this tremendous family and marriage event on November 3rd and 4th. We want to give you a ground floor opportunity to get on board. You can do that at catholicrevival.us. Now back to our program. So pastors listening, if you want something specially commissioned for your parish or whatever you're looking for, and certainly, um, gosh, you just think of all the, as you said, everybody has a a special saint, right? What a great gift that this could be um, for a family member when you don't know what else to do, right? That can live on. So um, check out HuffFineArt.com and you'll just be really amazed and inspired um, both in the the paintings you see there, the pictures there, um, sweet little children, little portraits of them, which are just amazingly beautiful. Um, But check it out again, Huff 
H-O-U-G-H, fineart.com. So, Mark, we're going to move along to um, your lovely bride, Faith Elizabeth. And you had mentioned her <laughs> writing. and um, But I have to say, something that strikes me for both of you, with both of you, and even reading some of your little, you know, the bio things or... Um, just listening to now, just how integrated Mm -hmm. this all is Mm -hmm. in your marriage and family. You know, it's not, certainly you have your separate spaces, if you will, but it just all seems to ebb and flow from and to each other. And just, isn't that how God works? Isn't that holiness, right? Isn't that um, just what the world needs today? Mm -hmm. You would, you know, talking about beauty, I'm going to, I don't remember which Russian philosopher, but one of those guys um, said, beauty will save the world. And love that. how true and what great witness you guys in your family and in the gift that you've been blessed with by the Lord, you are saving the world. <laughs> you know, whether it's in the little corner of your kitchen um, or in your wood shop or, you know, in the middle of the night nursing a baby. Um, but just the witness that you guys give to that is just so profound. So, Faith, we want to hear how you got into writing. Hopefully, I know we're going a little longer. I don't know if we're going to make this into two episodes or just do a longer podcast version. But are you guys good on time if we continue for a little while longer? What? Yeah, okay. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to uh, give the... Um, the web address. See, I'm I'm the technically messed one, Faith. But um, faithelizabethhuff.com. Again, Huff is H-O-U-G-H. Check out Faith's website and you will be truly inspired mm-hmm. in a whole different realm. So, Faith, I used to, you know, check in on your blogs, blog spot. Is that what it was called <laughs> way back when? I don't even know all the terms. But I have to say... Again, I like lead up and then I just get all excited with these explosions of of emotion. But I can't tell you how many people I've passed along your um, blog spot to who were so moved and so inspired and how many people it helped. And your gift of writing is quite evident. Um, Mark, we know you're a writer also, but just the 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 simplicity um, with which you bring the profound. And moms, grandmas, whoever you are listening, um, in particular, you will be amazed and inspired from the um, j- just the advice, if you will, from mothering mm. and, a, and a holy perspective of it to the excitement and delight in literature and the book recommendations. Whenever anybody asks me, you know, for recommendations for books, I'm like, oh, my niece Faith has this awesome <laughs> list, you know, go check, you yeah. know. And um, so anyway, I just encourage you to go there. And I am going to um, just read something, if I may, if my computer will allow me to start, just to give you a little flavor. This is from a recent um, blog post from Faith. She says, a hidden bonus of being a Catholic author is that I've spent my life steeped in story-worthy elements. You want beauty and drama? Walk into a mass and breathe in the incense and beeswax candles. Mm -hmm. Let the music of bird and talus echo in your ears. I probably said that wrong. See the gleam of brass and the smoking thurifer and the sheen of silk on the tabernacle investments. Mm -hmm. You want the perfect story? Read the Bible. With all its heartache and betrayal and sacrifice and longing and love, 
or the lives of the saints echoing this story in their own unique lives. So that's kind of like the foundation for which faith comes from. But her, the way that she writes, it isn't, I don't want to say just those things. That's the foundation. But finding the good, the true, the beautiful, the one in so many delightful stories that she recommends. She interviews authors. Just check it out, faithelizabethhuff.com. So Faith, what was your inspiration to kind of take off in this realm? Um, I think mainly being surrounded by books as a kid. Like we just had so many good books and my mom read aloud to us all the time as a kid. So, so many of my earliest memories, happiest memories are my mom reading to us at lunchtime or out on a picnic blanket out in the yard. And I can, I can vouch for that. I remember that. I remember her being excited. Was it Jim, (laughs) Jim to release? Was that his name? Read aloud handbook or something like that. Anyway. So yes. And it's still, it's still the the great go-to book for book recommendations. Um, and I remember wanting to be a writer when I was about five, I think people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said that I wanted to be an artist, a writer, a mother, and a nun. Of course. um, (laughs) Love it. (laughs) More important thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I get to do the first three. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I just always loved telling stories. I loved entertaining my younger siblings with stories, my cousins with stories. And I had, was always starting writing things. I was really good at starting things my entire life. I was so good at finishing them. And then <laughs> shortly after I got married, um, his sister, who was also a writer, she was a, I believe she was a creative writing writer. At mm-hmm. Princeton. Yeah. Um, and we were walking along the beach together by our house. And she said, you know, we always talk about wanting to be writers and none of us have ever finished anything. And we really should hold each other accountable and really work on these things. So we started a little family writing group with Mark's sister, Maureen, and his mom and me and Mark. And we would just have something every week mm. to read and uh, help the others critique. And so that's what actually got me to finish the book. And um, awesome. there's a great there's a great competition in Connecticut for unpublished children's writers called the Tassie Walden Award. And it's judged by literary agents and editors. So I entered that contest with the first book that I wrote as a result of that writing group. And it was a finalist. And just that encouragement of knowing that, okay, literary people, professionals in the field think that it's worth something with Mm -hmm. the encouragement that I think I need keep going as I was having kids and life was getting busier. I think the, um, I missed the award ceremony for that prize because I had a six hour baby, six hour old baby. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> I wrote that book through, through pregnancy and um, writing has always been really connected to my mothering. has always been something that I've done with mothering alongside mothering. And um, it's a good fit for being a stay at home homeschooling mom because I can write early in the morning when I'm nursing a baby. I can think about things while I'm doing household tasks. And now that the kids are older, it's a lot of fun because I can read my books aloud to them, but also my oldest few kids are brilliant writers themselves. Mm. And Mm. to plot ideas off them and get their ideas back, it's it's incredibly helpful and inspiring. So um, 
something that I kept at. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I, and, and, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say it was, it was very, very clear from the very first time we got to know each other that Faith's uh, love language was books. <laughs> that, 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 that was such a, I mean, I think, think we talked about it, even when the first ways that we realized that we actually liked each other. I asked Faith about it and she was like, I think it was when we went on this walk as a group <laughs> and you started talking about how you liked Anne at Green Gables. Mm-hmm. No, well, that time, that time was Jane Austen. Oh, that was Jane Austen. Okay. We were hiking and he, he knew what he was doing. He asked me, so which Jane Austen character do you think you most strongly identify with? Like, are you more of a or <laughs> more of Elizabeth Bennett? And then he told me which one he thought I was like and it, it was hopeless from then on. Like, obviously. <laughs> He gotcha, Jane Austen, Ooh, Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Just say Anne of Green Gables. He had, um, yeah. I had asked him what his favorite, some of his favorite books were growing up, and so he recommended uh, Kidnapped and David Balfour and mm. The White Company. Um, he asked me what my favorite book was, and I sort of timidly told him that it was Anne of Green Gables, and I know that wasn't a very manly book. Because my brother had told me that it was a really girly book, but if he wanted to read it, that was my favorite book. And he wrote back and told me that he had indeed read it and he loved the movie and he couldn't <laughs> imagine anything that a character like Anne Shirley could be girly when really it was just sort of the epitome of human nature and passion. And, and it was a very eloquent email. I love that. That seems to be. I love it. That's so great. And I, the, um, again, if I'm remembering correctly, but you, you had uh, on your blog a list of books too that you encouraged um, every boy to read, every girl to read mm. as they were growing yeah. up, uh, just instilling those uh, needed virtues, if you will, in the literature that best exposed them to that. Hmm. Just a yeah, neat... that was a lot of fun. I, yeah, I sort of interviewed for that one for the best books for boys to read. Yeah, it, um, it's funny. The the books that that I read when I was going through my teens, I would think about them now, and yeah, they they were really a really big part of deciding what kind of person I was going to mm. be. Um, when you're just naming like David Balfour and, and White Company, I realized all the heroes of those books that I read, they all. So they were heroic by the restraint wow. that they they showed that they were strong by not giving in to their 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 impulses to punch someone or their impulses to run or mm-hmm. or or it was and by far that would seem to be the the type of book that I found most enjoyable mm-hmm. the classic hero story where the hero was actually actually someone trying to trying to be a, a good man and so yeah that that was a really big part of of what made me made me want to be a, a real man when i grew mm-hmm. up you know i think there are, yeah, there are want, go ahead uh, those recommendations are great i think a lot of a lot of a lot of parents can can feel at a loss what to throw their kids mm-hmm. uh, when they when they want to do something and and yeah the, the, those lists were fun to come up with and and I love too that you seem to focus on the the middle school grades because um, I think that yes. those ages I think are so tough because you're you're beyond the little the littles right but you maybe aren't quite <laughs> ready for that next step and just 
and parents, gosh, how many times have we heard parents say, you know, that their child picked up a book that they wish they wouldn't have seen mm. or been exposed to and um, and nothing horrific per se, but just instilling things or exposing them to things that you really they're not good for the soul, mm, right? Mm. And um, just can kind of taint the waters a little bit. And so I love too that you you have the classics in there. And I think this summer you've, you've done like the throwback theme each week, right? Of yeah. a certain thing. and um, But also you highlight many wonderful, new, good, solid authors um, to recommend. So listeners, also, if you're looking for gifts, you know, and w- go to the books, right? And you want some recommendations, check that out there. Um, also, I'm just struck too, as you guys are speaking of the influence of books, um, and we touched on this early on in the show, but the competition now with devices, with the scrolling, with the social media, um, there's no comparison. I got to make some punctuation marks as we are having this conversation about art and beauty and writing in a culture that forges kids for this. Folks, when our children are young, they're looking for direction. They're looking for mastery, masters. And that means those who have judicious insight as to what's better from what's worth worse. It's not always necessarily a good against evil. Sometimes it's just a, a, a greater and excellence versus just okay. And I will say that as a family, we had to make a decision early on that, number one, we are the parents, which means we are entrusted with a certain wisdom as to what kind of culture we want to form them with an insight that if they're given a chocolate cake and asparagus, most of them are going to gravitate towards one. All right. And I'm not, you know, maybe there's a freakish kid. I love you, whoever asparagus boy is. That's fine. But most are going to go toward the candy. And and I will say that, that, so applying this to a home just to get the digital crap out of the way, I'm not disparaging its appropriate use and time and place. So, but I'm going to say that word and allow that that, you know, appetite searching for some engagement to be assigned to this great practice of reading and just contemplating and cultivating imagination and mind puts them, I'm just going to tell you folks who are listening, top 10% of culture, top 10% of culture by getting rid of the stuff and orienting them. I can't tell you how many parents I heard. And again, we're all a work in progress. We're all under production. We can choose today to even be better, by the way. I don't care where your kids are at. Don't don't ever say my kids aren't readers. What you're saying is we never set the environment for them to encounter the good in reading because we gave them the chocolate cake. And we, we and you're going to see if they're just eating the chocolate cake, you are what you eat. They're going to look anemic. Their souls, their spirits, their experience, their capacity to connect with the world and contemplate. The, you know, they're going to look anemic. Secondly, and you kind of jumped maybe to this in talking about faith's recommendations and such, is the right kind of books— they're going to foster in us, you know, our, our greatest good. They're going to inspire us with the values of the kingdom. Uh, and, and if we do that, if we are plugged into that and encourage it, and I will say this, Steph, you could chime in on this. Our kids, kids not, aren't necessarily born readers. I mean, that you read them when they're little, you open the books, you, yes, Dads, moms, do that because it orients them. Read Chronicles of Narnia. Dads, read to them Chronicles. I don't care if you only get four pages, one page. You know, read to them because it, it just is amazing. So that habituates them towards that. Um, but all the more, at a point of second, third, fourth grade, get them appropriate books and let them sit with them and fight with it. I will say some of our kids, Joseph was reading Lord of the Rings in second grade. 
and he'd read it every year and like really a second grade kid, you know, and I, you know, maybe skipped over the poetry or some of the more challenging things, but you know, some of it was telling them there's a little bit of a work here. There's a little bit of a work that, that, you know, demands from them resources that aren't innate, but I'm going to tell you, like in a gym and lifting weights, putting those weights, the weights that are a book in front of them and encouraging them to stretch those muscles and attend to that, you're, you're setting them up for a joy and a delight that's going to carry them through and put them in the upper echelons of success. Amen? Amen. Just saying. Yeah, I definitely do. And I think, too, um, sometimes those mountains can look really big for some kids. I have one kid who's dyslexic. He has a really, really hard time reading. And so it's really important to have a parent who's willing to climb that mountain with you. That those mountains are good and they're worth climbing. But if you have a parent who is willing to sit and read aloud to you, that it forges relationships alongside those reading skills mm-hmm. and that love for story. And, you know, even though my daughter has a hard time reading still, she's very much a reader mm-hmm. and the culture of books and stories is so important to her. And she loves it no less than any of her siblings who were able to read really easily. Um, and yeah, just having someone with you in a relationship with books with mm-hmm. you is really important. To you. Um, By the way, something that, Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I have a strong feeling about, uh, a strong um, conviction about a parent who comes before God in prayer and says, Lord, give me your heart for my spouse and my children in the capacity for that to happen when they're reading books and they ask you to read a certain book and you read it with them. You connect with their soul. It's almost like listening to a favorite song. Hey, listen to this song. It's very meaningful. But to read a book, and I've done that. I love when our kids have recommended books to me and I've read them also and we pass them around and share them together. There's just a shared sense, right? There's a communal, there's a Trinitarian sense. It gives you language to talk about, themes, ideas. And uh, I would even say, again, we're talking books, but even with regard to movies, don't let an opportunity pass when you see a well-chosen, appropriate movie to ask the deeper questions beyond just were you entertained and did you like it, but, you know, what was the drama and what struck you in this and, you know, what were the tensions and, you know, how did it maybe help you look in your life? Was that decision correct or not correct or was this person flawed or not flawed and do we see this? You know, ask those questions that create, a you know, a language and a context for, shall we say, iron sharpening iron, mutual, if you will, becoming saints, becoming the best version of ourselves. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I'm going to throw a recommendation out there because there's an author who's done this so much better than I have yet. And that's Sarah McKenzie. She has a book called um, The Read Aloud Family. Mm. And she has an excellent website called uh, readaloudrevival.com. And she has great resources for exactly what you were talking about. Those questions that encourage you to look deeper into a book and connect with your child over books instead of just the surface questions of did you like it and mm. those have been really helpful to my family amazing um, so she's definitely worth checking yourself out Mark and Faith Huff, so delighted that you took time uh, beyond what we expected in the contents or we the, the space going. of a radio program. This is going to be on a podcast, an extended version podcast. But folks, I do want to direct you to Faith's website, faithelizabethhoughh.com. I want to direct you because you know you all want a violin or a viola or a cello. We all want, don't we? <laughs> Mark Hoff Violins.com. Mark H-O-U-G-H Violins and the Sacred Art Hoff Fine Art, H-O-U-G-H, fineart.com. Um, 
Um, before we land this, though, just any final thoughts? We know that we could probably go another 10 episodes, but just any final thoughts, Mark or Faith, that you feel just are worthy of punctuation before we land? I, I do have one little story that I want to share. With Please. Uh, you probably don't realize what a role the two of you played in, in our dating, but hmm. uh, many years ago, uh, we, uh, we uh, were driving back from Steubenville, uh, where Faith was going to college, and we hit a snowstorm. This is shortly after we were shortly, married. Yeah, we, yeah, shortly after we were married, we hit a snowstorm yes. right like 10 minutes from your house, and it was really bad, and we were like, oh my goodness, I don't think we could go on. And so we hurriedly called you and said, uh, is there a way we could uh, stay at your house? And you're you're very welcoming, like, oh, yeah, of course, that'll be great. And we walked in, and it happened to be a night that uh, I think was it the Packers, the Packers were playing. Were playing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And a deep, I sacred mean, moment in I our remember, house. Yes, I remember walking in, and uh, Greg, you were watching the Packers game, and they were not doing well. <laughs> and so the moment that struck me was, uh, 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 they weren't doing well and your wife could tell that you were down about it. And she just walked right up to you, curled up right on your lap and hugged you. <laughs> and you would not believe what an, what an inspiration that was because I, that was one of the first times I remember going, wow, husbands and wives can actually be affectionate like that. Mm. <laughs> it was, it, it, I don't know whether it was just growing up in new England, but it's, struck me that wow i can't believe that that you can you can just have that type of friendly wonderful loving relationship mm. and let and not not care what the world thinks about it that you were it was just wow. such a beautiful moment thank and you that for has that. actually been a real, a real big inspire mm. inspiring moment in our life because we realized that kids need to know that they mm. need to know that marriage is beautiful and mm. that it's something that they're getting the best of the of of relationships by marrying that they're not they're not uh giving up something that the world offers that seems very tempting mm. that they're actually getting wonderful and so i want to just thank relate you that because that was beautiful moment that has stuck with us all these years. That's very simple and beautiful and poignant, and I absolutely love that. And we take it for granted, maybe, because we are a hugging family, and it's funny. We do think about this, like our like our culture, our home culture, when we've had large gatherings or whatever, almost, when I say thoughtless, without thought, just when people come in the door and our kids, if they know them, right, and, and, and as the friendships deepen, I think we have probably, not even thinking about it, you know, people find that they're hugging when they come in our home, whereas otherwise they might not. Yeah. And no, I, I mean, I do think there's, you know, I'm not saying one way or the other, but I, I'm grateful for what you're saying because I've never heard that before. But uh, just that's so touching. Yeah, Mark. the body and soul Thank kind you. of connection that, that God gives us. And, so yeah, are you glad yeah. that the Packers are doing so poorly? This uh, was you know the what? Moment. I've given up on <laughs> and and the NFL storm. and all matters as of three God years is ago so or good. so. See for, how he uses, he just uses it all. Uses right? a snowstorm. The purity of heaven falling down upon us. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. And you know, that's the best way to throw a Hail Mary. So I just, you know, right. I keep going with this. Faith, speak to moms in the, um, the joyful choice or the, let me say the choice to be joyful in motherhood in those tough moments, whether it's being awakened in the middle of the night to nurse, whether it's 
all the stuff that comes with it that so often I think we as moms have bought into the cliche responses. <laughs> Unfortunately, I get I get so passionate and angry even. Just I'm like, do you really mean what you just said about your husband or about your kids? Because I don't think you did, but you're just kind of going with the flow. And again, I just want to affirm the witness that you give um, in that. So speak to a mom perhaps who's just really struggling um, with the beautiful cross of motherhood right now? Mm, I I think the best thing that I can say is just don't listen to the lies. There are just so many lies permeating our culture right now about motherhood. And they they always have this little grain of truth to it. So it seems like it makes sense. Like motherhood is this sacrifice. So you'll lose yourself and that's terrible. And the reality is the truth is that motherhood is a sacrifice and you'll lose yourself. Right. And that's really great and really transformative. And you're not going to be the same person that you were before you became a mother. But that's not a bad thing. If you're becoming a new creation, it's even better than what it was before. Mm-hmm. And having children offers you so much opportunity to grow in who you are as a person that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I, the way I've been stretched as a mother is like incredibly painful sometimes because I'm coming up against my own weaknesses and it's hard mm. to see those weaknesses. Mm. But without those moments, that those would just be left ignored. They'd just be there and, I don't know, maybe they would come out in our marriage eventually and do these really painful things that I hadn't dealt with. Mm. But you have to deal with them because you need to take care of your children and you're having a child throw a tantrum in front of you and suddenly you realize that you're not as patient as you thought you were or not mm-hmm. as understanding as you thought you were. But you get so many more chances to grow. And mm-hmm. I think that it's been a huge thing in motherhood. Amazing. But on, on a perhaps more positive note, it's just so much fun to be mm. a mother and to be able to see your kids grow and see the relationship with one another grow and the relationship with God. And just to see these amazing human beings that like out of nowhere are brilliant and funny and the yes. sense of humor mm-hmm. strikes me because you can't really peak sense of humor and then you have your kids writing comic strips or stories or mm-hmm. just making up jokes they're so funny and <laughs> it's an underestimated part of parenthood mm-hmm. that you get to have fun with and when things are going really bad, it's it's so helpful to have Mark curl up on your lap and just hug you and, and, and tell you that, you know, it's going to be better. <laughs> Only in an know. eerie snowstorm. Mark, yeah. you were going to say? I definitely curl up on his lap. <laughs> talked about it the past few months. Since my last baby was born, I've been dealing with some postpartum depression. Um, mm. The biggest help for that is curling up on Mark's lap and having him tell me things are going to be okay. That's right. Yeah, That's right. It, it is true. It, it does. It does really, really help through through the hard times. Just knowing that you're you're a unit. It's not just you having to go through and deal with this alone. That that you have the sacrament of marriage that gives you grace together mm-hmm. to be able to help uh, help each other. And that's that's a big comfort in the hard times. Awesome. Thank you. So, if all the pieces of art that we have spoken of and that you have um, so beautifully expanded upon. I just want to proclaim um, a great thank you for the incredible masterpiece that you give the world Mm. in your marriage and family, because it is an unmistakable, one of a kind, living icon, beauty, living icon. Yes. Yes. 
Folks, thank you so much for being with us on this journey tonight with Mark and Faith Huff, really exploring the heart of God revealed through each of us, inviting us all to participate, certainly in mutual self-gift that is love, in marriage, and in family, and the vital vitality of that civilization of love, that, that cell of civilization, where we can encounter uh, joy, delight, beauty, discovery, creativity through art. I mean, God gives us this opportunity in our home cultures. I'm just going to say, be mindful of those decisions that we make. We all can be tempted to making that just squelch, that just confuse or obfuscate, that cloud the soul over. We can be a Nancy. What is that? That's Mark's mom who out of the blue, without any faith background or practice, on a good Friday, decided and experienced an anointing, experienced a grace, and and and, and it transformed the life of their family. We're going to close with just saying, be open to it. God is always pressing in with the force of the Niagara Falls. We like to say that he's pressing in on us. He wants us to know this tremendous love that he has poured forth and to respond to him and to live in its vitality. Turn off the junk, turn off the lies, turn off the confusion, open up our hearts to his grace. It is so present and is so alive. And pray for us as we seek to make that accessible. Our movement at ilovemyfamily.us, these radio episodes at igniteradiolive.com. And partner with us. Click on that partnership tab. We're very grateful for your prayers, your mission partnership, and certainly financial support. Um, Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time, God bless you.